The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. For the last several months, we've been walking through the last part of the book of Romans. We did take a break over Christmas, and we're jumping back in today. I I carved it up. We have seven, maybe eight weeks or eight messages left before we finish the book of Romans. So excited to kind of get through that and get to our next chapter, but we're going to be here for at least a couple more months. Uh, I want to pray Then we're going to jump into Romans chapter 14, and we're going to finish the chapter today. It's verses 13 through 23. Let's pray first and ask God to come and speak to us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for who you are, how you move and work in our lives. We're just astonished that you love us enough and to care for us enough to, to meet with us, to allow your Holy Spirit to transform us, to hopefully make us look more like you. Uh, we ask, God, that you would come and now speak to us from your word. Let us leave here looking more like you, honoring and glorifying you in the way that we live our life. We love you. We desire to serve you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, this was literally before Christmas. So I don't expect anyone to really remember, but we're coming off a passage where Paul, the author of the book of Romans, is going, hey, we have a problem in the church here. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, so these are people that are in Christ. These are people that have faith in Jesus. They're judging each other. And they're judging each other based on the way they live their lives, but they're not necessarily using scripture as the yardstick for measuring one's righteousness, holiness. They're making up their own rules. And they're really pulling from a lot of stuff from their past. And it's really more of an ethnic tension and a religious tension than it is that people within the church aren't following Jesus. It's causing a huge fracture. And it's something that Paul wants to desperately address. And the people that he appears to be addressing, okay, the people that he appears to really be more concerned about are the people in the church who are actually stronger in their faith, who may be a little bit more mature, who should know better, but they're using that strength, that wisdom, and even that maturity, not to impart wisdom into the less mature and the less strong in their faith, but instead the strong in their faith are going, yeah, you gotta step it up. You're, you're just not cutting it. Uh, you, in fact, you need to probably just head on down the road because you are not worthy to be a part of this community. And that's damaging. I don't know if, you know someone or if you've ever walked in to a community of believers and you felt immediately like you were outcast and you felt like maybe you didn't measure up, that should never happen. That should never, ever, ever happen amongst a group of people who are followers of Jesus for one reason. None of us measure up. We're all pretty broken. We're all big old messes. And we all need Jesus. Whether you've been a follower looking great from the outside for years or, or this is day one and you don't even know why you're here. God loves you and God's for you. So the church should love you and be for you. And this is what Paul's saying. He says, don't judge people. Quit judging them instead. Here, here's a better idea. Use that effort. Use that brain bandwidth to figure out ways to love them instead. Stop judging. Start loving Pretty simple message. Verse 13 of chapter 14 in the book of Romans. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Stop doing that. 
Instead, I've got a better idea. Make up your mind. The word there means become resolute. Decide. Decide to not put any stumbling blocks or obstacles in the way of a brother or sister. Stop judging because when you do, it impedes their walk with the Lord. It impedes them growing in their faith. Stop doing that. That's a terrible idea. You're wasting energy and effort on things that don't matter and in fact are damaging. There's a problem. People are thinking that things are sinful that are not. The church is great at this. And it changes throughout the decades. Things that are not explicitly wrong, things that the Bible does not speak about, but the church popularizes and culturally says, these things are wrong. Why are they wrong? Because I say they're wrong. Where is that in scripture? I don't need to find it, just trust me, it's wrong. That's what's happening here in the church in Rome and it still happens today in our church, unfortunately. Verse 14, Paul says, I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, meaning I've sought this out with him. I've laid my convictions and my beliefs before the Lord. And in faith, I've sought him to make sure that what I'm thinking is correct, all right? I've laid this all before God. I'm convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. There's so much history that we need to unpack. And I'm going to do a very menial job of it today. Okay, because there's just so much and I don't wanna derail us. For the next few minutes, I'm going to beg you not to let your eyes roll back in your head, okay? I'm gonna beg you to just stick out the next five minutes as we walk through the text and we will get to practical application, I promise you. But the text is what governs that. The text is what brings us truth. And in order for us to understand what the text is saying for us today, we need to understand what the author, Paul, is saying to the church 2,000 years ago. And their culture and their background and their history and what they're dealing with is something that's gonna be so foreign to us, you're gonna go, I'm lost. And that's okay. Because you're not a first century Jew or a first century Roman who's been a Christian for less than five years. Okay, that, that's the context that this is happening in. So we've got a lot of stuff working that to us just seems crazy. But Paul is saying, everything is clean. There's nothing unclean. I'm convinced of this. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. For them personally, if they think it's unclean, if they think it's unlawful, specifically to eat a certain type of food, then for them, it's unclean. For me, it's not, but for them, it is. There's a verse like this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. For everything God created is good. He declared it as such. The end of each day, this is good, this is good. End of day six, mankind made in God's image. This is very good. Everything that God made is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Once again, we're talking about clean and unclean foods here. Foreign to us, huge deal in the first century. Now, the Old Testament law did designate that some foods were clean and others were unclean. If you ate some foods, you'd be ceremonially unclean. You need to go purify yourself in certain ways to be able to go to the priest and offer sacrifice so that God will accept you. This is Old Testament law. 
We're sitting here 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, no longer under the law because Jesus came to fulfill the law. But they don't know any different. And so they've got a bunch of people going, that's clean, that's unclean. You can't eat this, you can't eat that. It's it's this huge argument that's dividing the church in Christ. So every one of the people here in Rome and every one of us who believes in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, everyone who is in Christ is free from the law, has been set free from the law and is now enabled by the spirit of life to know what God desires for them and is supposed to live faithful and obedient to that spirit. Does the word of God still govern us? Yes. Does the Holy Spirit lead and guide us and empower us and enable us to live holy, upright lives? Yes. Do we need to worry about the law? No. But Paul's saying there's gonna be some people that still do. There's gonna be some people that that are missing the boat completely, but they still worry. So we need to give them grace. Stop judging them for going back to their old way of life. It's their conviction. It's their personal belief. It may not be right, but it's what they believe. So don't become a stumbling block for them in their faith. They're working through it. Give them some space to grow. Here's some specific examples from Rome. Romans chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, okay, they're worried about you because you eat unclean food. You are no longer acting in love. Say what? Of all the ways to disrespect a fellow brother or sister in Christ, now I got to worry about what I eat. Well, in Rome in the first century, yes. Paul's saying, if what you eat causes them to be concerned about you, you shouldn't eat that. And by doing so, you're not acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. What? How could me eating pork, which is unclean according to law, destroy someone? The context is, It would destroy their faith, not the person. They don't explode if you eat a pork chop. But their faith could be negatively impacted and Christ died so that they might have faith in him. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. You know it's okay to eat a pork chop, but they're saying it's wrong. So don't do anything that they can say is wrong. It's a very difficult way to live life. Paul says it's a loving way. For the kingdom of God is not about what you eat or drink. That's irrelevant. If eating this destroys their faith, don't eat it because that's not what it's about. God's not sitting in heaven looking down going, so proud of Todd. He doesn't eat unclean things. So proud of Todd, he doesn't say unclean words. No, God looks down and says, my kingdom is about righteousness, peace, joy, the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human's approval. So, In this little section here, it appears to say that a good way to love your neighbor, to love your brother or sister, 
is to take into consideration their feelings, their personal beliefs, even if they're wrong, even if they're different than yours, and to live in such a way as to create unity, to live in such a way as to love, to abstain from doing and saying certain things just because it makes them feel uncomfortable. That is love. And if you do so, four things will happen. Number one, can we get that verse back up there? Just as many of them as you can fit. Um, Number one, in living this way, you're showing love. That's in verse 15, okay? You're showing love. If you've got your Bible, underline that. Four things that living this way will do. You'll show love. Skipping down to verse 18, in living this way, you're ultimately serving Christ. So it's not about serving them. It's about serving God. Number three, if you want to underline it, you're pleasing God there in verse 18. And the last thing it says in verse 18 is you will receive human approval. They'll like it. By living in a way that you think of others' needs ahead of your own, you're doing those four things. Was the church in Rome completely missing the boat? Yes. They were very far from making the main thing the main thing. The main thing is righteousness, peace, joy, the Holy Spirit. The main thing is Jesus. And they were making the main thing food. What you eat, what you don't eat. They were missing the boat. And I would think Paul would come in and be like, no, no, Jesus died so we can be set free from this. You're so wrong. He should have come in hot and heavy, like the people that understand grace and the gospel, they are getting it. These people that still think what you eat matters, they're wrong. And he goes, no, the people think what you eat still matters. We need to love them and not eat around them so as to destroy their faith. We need to adjust the way we live, even though we're free to live however we want. We need to adjust it because it's becoming a stumbling block for them. And if it does so, that's not loving, that's not serving God, that's not receiving their approval, it's fracturing the church. This is a huge problem. Verses 19 through 22, 23, sorry. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Great summary statement. How am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do, Todd? Live in such a way with your brothers and sisters that creates peace and that mutually encourages one another. Builds each other up. That sounds ridiculously simple, but it's true. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Once again, there's that word destroy. So strong, probably a little too much but do not destroy what God is stirring in someone's heart. Do not destroy how God is stoking someone's faith. Don't do that just so you can eat what you want to eat. Yes, all food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. I told you, I said it was me five minutes. I'm already at seven, so I apologize. Just keep, get your eyes back down. Um, we'll get to practical here in just a second. Do not eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. It's better just not do that. So that, so who does not condemn himself? I'm sorry, first one, I skipped on. So whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. 
your personal beliefs about the non-essentials, let's let those just be your personal beliefs, things that you've searched out with the Lord and, and that you hold true. And if someone has a different one, just, just keep that to yourself. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. What you believe and how you live your life because of the faith that you have in Jesus is very, very, very important. But if what you've discovered in your freedom in Christ allows you to eat this and drink this and do these things, and there's a person in the church who goes, I, that makes me very, very, very uncomfortable. You should go, okay, I won't do that anymore. At least around you. Because the unity and the peace that we have is important and my faith and your faith is more important. It's more important than, than food or drink. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 30. Um, perfect summary statement. This is Paul writing again to a different church. Obviously there was this huge problem with food in the first century, clean and unclean. It happened again in another city in Corinth. Paul says, I have the right to do anything. But then you will say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but instead the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience. So Paul's saying, once again, you're free to eat whatever you want because of Jesus. Eat whatever you want. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising question of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered as a sacrifice, then do not eat it. If you're at a meal, someone offers you something, eat it. If you're at the same meal, someone from the table goes, are you going to eat that? That's unclean. That was offered as a sacrifice. Don't eat it. And Paul goes on to explain why. I'm referring, verse 18, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. I'm not worried if you feel good about it. I know you do. But if in their conscience, they don't feel good about watching you eat this, then don't eat it. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Live in such a way as to take into consideration the needs, the beliefs, and the feelings of others, even beyond your own feelings. Paul says the same thing regarding the attitude of Jesus Christ. Do not place your own needs ahead of the needs of others. It's a very simple, sacrificial way of living life. Even before I was a follower of Jesus, I had heard the phrase, do not cause anyone to stumble. I've heard people use that phrase many times to describe different things in our culture that some people are uncomfortable with. And even if you're in Christ and have the freedom to do that, you maybe shouldn't do it because it makes someone feel uncomfortable. I've heard that for a very, very long time. I personally have struggled immensely for a couple of reasons. I came to know the Lord 
in my teen years. And I came out of a very conservative church and a very conservative youth ministry. And so I was a hyper legalist. I mean, I was a Pharisee. I was so judgy. If you did something that I deemed to be inappropriate, you would get the look, you'd get the shun, and then you'd get me talking to someone else about it because I'm never gonna go confront you personally. I'm gonna bash you to some other people. Terrible. I really, really dislike that Todd, looking back at him. So then I become 22 and a half-ish. And the Lord begins to work in my life and I believe save me from my legalism. And now, pushing 40, I have swung the pendulum all the way to the other side. I now judge those who look at the way I choose to live my life and are uncomfortable with some of the choices I make. And I go, yeah, you're just not as advanced as me. You don't understand the gospel and the freedom that we have in Jesus. And so I'm sorry that the way I live my life makes you feel uncomfortable, but tough nuggets, biblically I'm good. Both sides are bad. And I've experienced them from, I think, the polar extremes. And maybe I'm maturing. I don't know, probably not. But I do feel myself coming somewhat back to the middle. And I think that's the Lord going, Hey, Todd, I know you're freeing me to do whatever you want to do, but not all things are beneficial. And guess what, bub? It's not about you. It's not about living your life in a way that makes you the most happy. It's about living your life in a way that loves the best. And sometimes that's going to mean me looking at things I should legally and biblically be able to do and are not a big deal and choosing not to do them because it makes someone else who may not get it as much as I do because it makes them uncomfortable. It, it took me a while to, to kind of get that. But I, I need to hear the message from today. I, I need to hear it. I need to be reminded of it. And I think a lot of us need to be as well. Look at, look at that 1 Corinthians 10, 24 again. No one should seek their own good, but instead the good of others. That's the why. That's the why this matters. The way that we're gonna show love, the way that we're gonna serve God is by not seeking our own good, our own pleasures and benefits. No, but instead the good of others. It's not about me. It's about making my brother or sister feel comfortable The one big reason why we should choose to interact with brothers and sisters in this way is because failing to do so will create disunity. It'll divide the church. And historically it has. We're gonna go back a little bit, but some of you have lived through this. Um, not too many decades ago, if I were not in a suit and tie right now, 
I'd be getting the mess judged out of me for not bringing my Sunday best to God. Do you not love Jesus? Your shirt is untucked, you sinner. It's not in the Bible that you have to wear a suit and tie to church. But try showing up to Sunday school in 1950 in the South without a shirt and tie on. Good luck. This is fun for the ladies. About the same time, amongst conservative groups, if you have on any makeup right now, Jezebel! You have the spirit of Jezebel in you because you got lipstick on. What kind of horrible woman are you? Painting yourself up all pretty like, who are you trying to do that for? Myself? <laughs> this is kind of a fun one. My super legalistic self wouldn't go see an R-rated movie. Well, Todd, there's nudity and profanity and those are, those are bad things, agreed. You ever seen The Passion of Christ? Oops, that was R-rated. Are you a sinner? No, I wept like a baby seeing what Jesus did for me. It was R-rated. Don't even think about dancing. Whew. Did you gyrate your hips in a somewhat sexual way? Well, you know what that leads to. Never did for me, but. <laughs> must be the way I gyrate. <laughs> Still the biggest one, I think, for us today. And I mean, it's... It's shifting a little bit, but alcohol. Bible's clear, don't get drunk. Bible's unclear as to how many glasses of wine one can partake in. I'm free in Christ to, I don't drink wine, let's make it, let's be real. Um, I'm free in Christ to have a beer. And I choose to exercise that freedom from time to time. I gotta be really careful though. Because there are people out there that might see that and it would really wreck their faith. Because their preacher's having a beer and, and they, they, can't, they can't compute that. So even though it's biblically permissible, it may not be beneficial. And I gotta wrestle with that. Just gonna lob this grenade out there and back off real quick. Um, politics. You know how many churches are divided right down the middle between red and blue? I, I don't see in the Bible where it says that a Christian has to be Republican. Here's what we're gonna do then. Where the Bible speaks 
and calls sin, sin, we too will call that sin. And instead of judging people who sin like we all do, we'll hope that the kindness of the Lord will lead to repentance. And biblically, we can address that sin. Where the Bible is silent, we will love, even if someone in the silence of the Bible decides that they can't do this or they can do this. If it doesn't say yay or nay, just let them do that and keep your opinion to yourself. On the essentials of the faith, we will build the church. If you go to our website, we have very few essentials, but the ones that we do have are fundamental and they're non-negotiable. On the non-essentials, we will strive for unity. If you don't believe what I believe about the non-essentials, it's okay. We can still hang out. Doesn't make you smarter than me or me smarter than you or me love Jesus more, whatever. It's, we can still be friends. Are you living your life in a manner where believers and non-believers alike will feel that you love them and respect them? Is that how you're living? That you consider their needs and their wants and their desires and their beliefs more than you consider your own? Have you ever used your freedom in Christ as a license to sin? Potentially cause a brother or sister to stumble because It happens. Will you repent of that abuse of freedom? And just remember that it's not about you. In the past, have you ever decided to break fellowship? And that's kind of a churchy word. Have you ever stopped being friends with someone because they didn't line up perfectly with your beliefs? You know, I threw out that political statement. It's, it's funny, in the last five years, I've seen that break up more friendships than any of the other ones I just mentioned. How could you support that person and this thing? And how could you not support that person and this thing? How are you not my friend? Because I believe a little differently than you. Is there any way you could restore that relationship? Because I think in Christ... That's something God would desire. As the band comes back up here, I wanna read verses 17 and 18 again. I think, it's, I think it's what we need to focus on. Romans 14, 17 and 18. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. It's not a matter of the type of movies you watch. It's not a matter of the makeup that you wear or don't wear. It's not a matter of whether you dance or don't dance. It's not a matter of whether you drink or don't drink. The kingdom of God is not made up of those decisions and those things and those rules and those laws. That's not what the kingdom of God is. But instead, the kingdom of God is of righteousness, peace, and joy that comes through the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. That's the kind of life that Jesus offers. That's the kind of life that he desires for us to share with one another. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing God and is receiving human approval. Let's be a church that keeps the main thing the main thing. Let's be a church that runs after Jesus. Today in response, we're gonna take communion together. And I think it's a beautiful day to do that because of this. Um, 
the bread and the cup that our ushers are going to start to pass right now, just grab them and hold on to them. We're going to take them here in a minute. Um, they represent the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken and shed for you. But they also represent the sacrifice that was made so that the penalty of sin might be dealt with. One of my favorite passages in scripture is in Romans chapter six, verses one and two. And it just simply says this, shall we continue sinning so that grace may increase? It's a question. Shall we continue sinning so that grace may increase? And and here's the, the thought process behind it. Because Jesus died and his death and subsequent resurrection is sufficient for all sin, his grace is sufficient to cover over all of our sin because of that. There's, there's some who thought, well, I'm just gonna do whatever I wanna do. I'm gonna live however I wanna live. I'm gonna sin like crazy because God's gonna cover that. That'll just give me more grace. How can more grace be a bad thing? Shall we continue sinning so that grace may increase? Paul says, by no means. The Greek word, meganoita, literally means, heck no. No, don't live like that. That's a terrible idea. That's a terrible plan. No, by no means. Because we have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? As you hold the bread and the cup, they're a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. Not so that you could go sin it up over and over and over again and know that you're gonna be covered, know that you're gonna be forgiven. That's all true, but that's not why. That's not a license to sin. It's a reminder that Jesus' death has called us to die to sin and we need to live in such a way as to reflect that truth. Sin no longer controls us. It doesn't govern us. It's not all that matters. He's all that matters. We've died to sin. I'm gonna live in it any longer. We're gonna show grace and compassion and mercy to brothers and sisters that may not see it the way that we do. So we can be united because Jesus didn't die to have a fractured church. He died to have a church that's characterized by peace and love and joy and unity in the Holy Spirit. Church, you, you, you may need to look at a lot in your life today. But that bread and that cup are foundational to understanding the why. Why you would bear with someone who believes things that you just know are not true. Why would you do that? Because Jesus bared with you. Why would I put others' needs before my own? Because Jesus did that for you. Why would I sacrifice and love when they're not gonna do that for me? Because Jesus did that for you. That bread and that cup is just a reminder of what Jesus did for you. So if you would right now, would you take the bread all together, remembering the body that was broken for you? And as you look at that cup, it contains a reminder of the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And will you take that cup knowing that you have been washed clean, whiter than snow? Take the cup now. Father, thank you. Thank you for being so gracious and kind. Help us to live in such a way as to never be a stumbling block. Let our faith be lived out in love and peace and joy. Let our convictions and personal beliefs 
come not from what some man said or taught, but from how we have sought our freedom in you. Help us to live each day faithful and obedient, remembering the sacrifice that was made for us. Help us to live in a way that glorifies you, that loves others, that serves God. Ultimately, ultimately, though it's not our goal, we'll receive the approval of man. Let us not be divisive, but uniting. Let us not be judging, but loving. Let us be like you, Jesus. And may your sacrifice be the fuel that drives that lifestyle. We love you. We need you. We thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.